What's up, everyone? Welcome to this episode of Creator Support. On today's episode, we are talking about the murky ethics of YouTube clipping. We also reflect on our interview with Emma Chamberlain, and then later in the show, we're joined by a YouTube creator with 50,000 subs to do some real live creator support. Live creator support. This one felt like a radio show to me. I think you guys will enjoy this one. If you make it to the deep end, let us know. All right, back from Thanksgiving break. Big week to come back here, Colin. And only one more month in the whole year. Which is crazy. That is crazy. It's been a big year for us. Huge week. Yeah. Mainly mm -hmm. because we had a big bagel breakfast. That's right. Yesterday morning. That's right. At our office. We got a bunch of bagels because of, uh, we had some team members from YouTube come down and visit our studio, which was awesome. Uh, we got to talk about what the future of YouTube looks like. Um, always fun. But also a big week because we finally had Emma Chamberlain on the show, which That's was true. maybe four or five years in the making. I just read a comment that said, took you long enough. These things take time. They take time. These things take time. But yeah, when we first started the Colin and Smear show, we wrote down a long list of dream guests. And actually, Emma was kind of the last one on that initial list that we that it took us a long time to to book her and, and to get um, the show to a place where she wanted to come on, um, you know? And what was really cool was after we pressed publish on that um episode yesterday we actually met as a team and reset our dream guest list that was really that fun. was a really cool and fun experience to, to to also recognize and go back to that initial dream guest list and be like wow it took a long time but we got a lot of those guests on the show there were some crazy guests on the list this time i just want to say yeah Tyga dropped Drake. <laughs> he did drop Drake. <laughs> yeah, we we said it was no bad ideas. Uh, truly a free flowing brainstorm, and said, "Who do you think we we could have on the show?" Um, but we also took a step back and reset the 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 show. And I would urge all creators or, or anyone who's making a show to look at the end of this year and and offer it as an opportunity to reset. We we do this thing where we we reset. Okay, who is the audience? Has the audience changed? Who um, who are the guests that we want to have on? What is the value proposition of the show? And then what's our process to create the show? These are things that we we want to reset and take a step back um, and recognize like how the show is evolving. And I think you know we're we're making some some continued efforts to evolve the show in a way that we want to evolve it. There's one really nuanced thing we talked about yesterday which was the distinction between a creator and a creative. Mm. And that we feel like now we want to include creatives in our audience. Yeah, um, so creator being someone who makes their money from posting on social platforms, probably yeah. from advertising. Like, right. you know, we've spent the last few years talking about YouTubers. Mm -hmm. But we've noticed uh, a couple of things. There's an influx of listeners and people watching our channel, who are just creatives, people who work in the industry. Yeah. Uh, but don't They also could be freelancers. Yeah. Right? Like the reality is a, a freelance creative, someone who is uh, doing video, photo, graphic design as their job, they're using social to get work. And the distinction actually between a creator and a creative is that a creator is an independent media company who creates a format or a, a type of media and sells advertising to make their money. A uh, creative is someone who has a skill or a craft and uh, sells that as a service, right? And so it's a really interesting distinction, but I think the expansion of the creator economy in the coming year will be actually an adjustment to the creative economy. So as an example, a music video director yeah. is a creative. They're using their skill. They're selling it as a service. 
they're not necessarily looking for a brand deal, mm-hmm. right? There may be someone who listens to the show and connects with the people we speak to on an emotional level mm-hmm. or even the way we talk about storytelling. But maybe they don't necessarily want to go towards brand deals mm-hmm. or something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the experience of, of having Emma on the show, we should talk about that. It was a really, really cool day. Um, you know, Emma came to the studio and we got to hang out actually just for a while, get to hang out all day. Um, and I think that really helped us when we got into the interview too, of just feeling really comfortable and, and, uh, just having our longest, uh, conversation ever that was recorded. Yeah. Um, I had some nerves, uh, in the morning, but it was kind of hard to be nervous once she got yeah. here to the studio because we really got along so well. And it was hard to even know like when the podcast recording started and when it stopped. Totally. Like she just hung out for the majority of the day and we were talking the entire time. What was uh, what was like the most surprising takeaway from that conversation for you? The most surprising takeaway. Um, I think actually some of it was the conversation we had with her early in the episode when she's talking about rejection mm-hmm. and how she has this relationship with her parents where it was actually uh, a very comfortable one. Like mm-hmm. she wasn't afraid uh, of the rejection yeah. from her parents. Like they were very supportive. Um, yeah. But I, on the contrary, yeah. in school, uh, whether it was with friends or specifically with boys, there was like this sense of rejection and how that shapes her and her work. Yeah, I find in, in all of our conversations with creators, you know, in, myself included, I think a lot of people who pursue this career, I said this on the show, but... Uh, you know, have a relationship with control and wanting to control their ability to get approval or validation. And I think YouTube is this quantifiable metric. It's been interesting how how our show has evolved into going much more into like the psychology of what it is like to be a creator. I've actually really enjoyed that a lot. For me, it was the conversation around acting. I, yeah. I, I think that was really fun to recognize like, oh yeah, some of these these people are going to join the 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 true entertainment industry in a way over the coming decade that's going to be so unique and we are going to see them in movies and it's going to be it's going to be this convergence event of what we considered to be the internet creative economy and just the general entertainment sector that is we talked about this with Mr Beast but like the, there is going to be a convergence event it's probably going to be slow and gradual but it's all going to come into to one yeah it really makes you think about you know, it feels like she's so established and she's been around for so long, but she still is very young. She's 22. What is yeah. it like when she's 30, 40? Mm-hmm. What is it like when Jimmy, Mr. Beast is 30, 40? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Logan Paul. Like, these are I a mean, lot. Logan's, is, I think, close to 30. Sure. But yeah. This is like a young. And what's it like? He's on he's, the precipice of becoming a billionaire yeah. and wrestling in WWE. Yeah. <laughs> <You> <laughs> so know? it's pretty wild. Like, yeah. He's evolved to a pretty yeah, yeah. unbelievable place. And it's going to be fascinating to see. Uh, you know, what is a young industry full of young people really start to grow up? So one thing that was uh, anticipated, but really interesting to see, and it's our first big subject on the show today, is um, when we put out our episode with Emma, the one thing we were cognizant of was that it's going it was going to be clipped. Uh, and specifically, it was going to be clipped on TikTok. And within, I think, around three or four hours, like every hour after we pressed publish on the episode, I checked TikTok and searched Emma Chamberlain. Once I think the third hour hit, it was flooded with clips. Um, by last night, I saw a clip that had 3 million views. By this morning, that same clip has over 5 million views. Uh, and that clipping page has a few other clips that have half a million views, half a million views. Like, 
And if you search Emma Chamberlain on TikTok, you'll see our interview with her, and it is just clipped to to the tune of probably 10 million views um, in 24 hours. And there was a conversation on Twitter that was taking place this week around the con- concept of ethical clipping. So here's here's the question. It comes from Musa. It says, if any YouTubers would like to debate the topic of ethical clipping, DM me. I genuinely believe it is a win-win in every regard and completely ethical from all angles. So there was a lot of debate on this tweet and someone, I believe it may have even been Musa, posted a portion of the conversation that we had with Jimmy about this. And I want to play it for you right now. Yeah, let's play it. Which is wild. That's an encouragement to everyone watching to clip this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Spread sure. these clips. Spread these. Yeah, clips. do it. Do yeah. you care if they re-upload it no, on TikTok? No, guys, easy way to make yeah. money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get the clip in. They gave you <laughs> Dude, permission. I is... want to see TikToks. I want to see shorts. I want to see reels every single moment. <laughs> subtitles. Make the subtitles better. There's a yeah. someone clipped uh, like just like took a two minute segment of the video and put it on TikTok and it had 40 million views oh on TikTok. Yeah. And, and these guys are just like. Somebody in the comments are like, where do I find this? What is this? And, and people are just like, it's Mr. Beast. And like, and then like they'll respond like two hours later and they'll be like, wow, I just watched 10 of his videos. Where has this Whoa, been? Dude, and I, I see stuff like that all the time. So short yeah. form's like great. That's yeah. where when I, I hear creators are like striking other people that do up re-upload yeah, their videos no, or whatever, yeah, I'm like, you're crazy. Yeah, this is yeah, a yeah. funnel mm. to your content. That's like undervaluing, yeah, brand. It's undervaluing. Exactly. Like if I was like, hey, I'll give you some free billboards. You yeah. know, and put them everywhere. Exactly. And you're like, no, 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 take them down. Take them exactly. Down. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Clip yeah. my videos. React yeah. to my videos on your Twitch stream, your whatever stream. Yeah. Clip my videos. Put it on TikTok. I don't care. Just make yeah. sure you get views. So during our conversation, Jimmy asked us, are we okay with people clipping the episode? And we said, yeah, we're fine with that. And then he encouraged everyone to clip it. People did clip it, and it showed up everywhere. But even in that clip, he talks about how there's an opportunity to make money. Like, there's not necessarily a hobby for people to Mm -hmm. clip their favorite moment and put it out on YouTube or TikTok or Instagram. There's a business to this. You can make money from other people's videos. Yeah. So I feel partially responsible for this uh, because of that video and us, us, you know, saying that we're okay with it. Um, There was a a comment on this tweet that said, I'm sure Colin and Samira would be unhappy if they were still broke and someone stole their content and made thousands of dollars without giving them a single cent. Yeah. Yeah, that is. Yeah, that is true. And that is a really important consideration here. Um, You know, I'll, I'll zoom out and say that by the time this clipping thing became big enough, yes, I felt established enough and comfortable enough with our business that... I'm okay with other people clipping. But this time last year, you know, we actually invested in an editor to help us clip. And then actually, even throughout this year, we're investing in editors to help us clip our own episodes because I was seeing that our clips were going so incredibly viral across platforms that I was like, maybe we should control that. We should be clipping and we should be responsible for these clips. What I found in this process for us was that clips were a great way to build our brand. Like clips on the internet, having 10 million views of our show was a great way to build the, sh- the brand of the Colin and Samir show. When we tried to clip ourselves, I, I really didn't have much passion for clipping. So I didn't put much into it. And we were worse at clipping than the general population of clippers. And so for me, I'm like, yeah, clip our show. That's fine because... 
it builds the brand of our show for it to be more popular. And if it supports you in some way, that's okay with me. Um, and that, that doesn't mean that, that you know, you can feel totally differently if you're listening to yeah, this totally, or watching. Totally. Uh, and a lot of people did. Yeah, I'd actually like to hear a lot of perspectives from different levels of uh, uh, different levels and different types of creators because I'm not suggesting my perspective is correct. I'm just saying that where we are today, I also don't think it's possible or worth our time to try and control people clipping. What are we wh what are we supposed to do if we were not cool with that? What are we supposed to do with the hundreds of TikToks that got uploaded yesterday? contact each of them individually. Yeah, it's not, we have it's no not control over that. We have no control over that. And I, I don't think TikTok has content ID. Sure, I could go through the exercise on YouTube, but then you have these people putting like video game, you know, gameplay below a clip and you're like, how do you content ID that? That's like, there's, yeah. Look, there's nothing maybe, you can do maybe about Maybe we that. would have had more of a problem if we were better at clipping. If we were choosing <laughs> yeah, the same clips yeah. that other people were choosing and getting less viewership, I'm sure we would be angry because yeah. we were investing in that. Mm -hmm. The reality is, I remember our destroying yeah. episode. We put out three clips. All of them did terribly. They bombed. Yeah. And then we look at this other account <laughs> and we're like, how did we miss that moment where yeah. he's talking about a $100,000 check showing up at his mom's door yeah. from his ad set? And it did like, 7 million views. It did 7 yeah. million views. How, yeah. how did, clearly we're doing something wrong because right. we totally missed that that would be an interesting clip. Yeah, my mind, uh, my mind doesn't work like that in, in short form clips. Um, and again, like my vantage point is that the more of us out there, like 7 million views on us interviewing Destroying is, is still building the brand of the Colin and Samir show. And we know how to build a business around the Colin and Samir show. So that, that's what I think is, is, is a positive there. Now, I do want to play this. Because I did see this on TikTok. Is this, this might be from, I don't know who this is from. In the life of a $10,000 a month TikTok clipper. First thing I do when I get into my office is write out my daily goals. Today I wanted to hit a million views and make $1,000 at least. After that I go and sit at my desk and I pick up my phone to get started with my shift. Today I wanted to clip Neon Stream since he's been getting a lot of views recently. First thing I do is go to his YouTube channel and start screen recording his content. Then I crop it and take it into CapCut. After doing this, I put some GTA gameplay at the bottom and use the auto caption subtitle tool to make some subtitles for me. Then I load up my TikTok page to see how much we made. And one of my videos yesterday has made one and a half thousand dollars. Great start. Then I go and check on my employee, Dan, who also makes clips for these pages for me. He was just watching NBA, so I had to whip him back into work. So this is kind of a wild moment in time where this is like an entrepreneurial side hustle that people are suggesting or even main hustle that you can make $10,000 a month screen recording other people's content, putting it into CapCut, putting GTA gameplay below it, and you can make $1,000 in a day doing that. Again, we're living in this world where the clips that would go viral are from creators that are big enough that they don't it's not worth their time, mm -hmm. right? Like uh, streamers like Kai Sinat or, or Neon, like they actually would prefer if they were everywhere. It, it is interesting though, because, you know, someone added to this tweet, like added context using the Twitter sort of editing tool. And it reads, there is no ethical clipping. This is intellectual property theft. It is illegal under world intellectual property organization treaty this treaty applies to twitter slash x through the digital millennium copyright act and yet at the same time there are a lot of channels that clip 
I'm looking at social media money right now yeah. on Instagram, who yeah. clips so much of our stuff and actually yeah. is hired to clip for different podcasts. Right. But his most recent post is him holding a YouTube play button. Right. A 100,000 subscriber YouTube play <laughs> button, which is just so interesting that yeah. like, he's rewarded the same way by the platform financially yeah. and in terms of those types of awards. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I said this to, to YouTube CEO, Neil Mohan, when we, when we interviewed him, I said, you know, he was talking about like YouTube guidelines when it comes to clipping. And I was like, yeah, well, like creator cultural guidelines are different than YouTube guidelines. And those are, they're all really hard to enforce. Um, now on this topic of what you're talking about with like this account, social media money, who gets to a hundred thousand YouTube subscribers by clipping other people's podcasts. He also gets hired by other podcasts too. I think he's pitched us his service before yeah, yeah, yeah. where he's clipped our stuff and then been like, do you want to hire me as your clipper? It's a great way to get it's, hired. It's a good way to get hired. Now we are joined by content closet creator, Tejas Halor, who's sitting at the table right now. Tejas, say hello so everyone knows your voice. Hello, hello. So one of your friends... You've been here the whole time. <laughs> he's he's been here. here the whole time. I, I didn't know when I was going to patch him in, but here we are. I, I have a question for you because you're friends with Omar Raja. Omar Raja started a account called House of Highlights that grew to what? 15 million followers on Instagram? Like 50 million 50, But I'm right saying now, by yeah. the time he sold it yes. to, to Bleacher Report. Yep. Um, and the reason I bring that up is because is that any different? Right? Like House of Highlights was a UGC sports... Uh, clips page where he's taking content from the NBA or from other places and growing an audience and growing a business on Instagram by posting clips that he doesn't own, right? Like, is that any different from what we're talking about right now? And that that is like a, a big success in the world of sports, House of Highlights. Absolutely. All those accounts, right? All ESPN, SportsCenter, yeah. Bleach Report, they're, they're all doing that. What I do know of this is every video that they post of a UGC they're actually asking for permission of today, 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 yeah, today, today, yeah. all these accounts, Jerry media, Barstool, the way they started was just by reposting. Also something we did with lacrosse network, mm -hmm. right? Mm. When we first started, like, how do you grow a page? Uh, you curate, you curate, curate. You build the audience. Right? First. So like curation is a big part of the creator economy. And, you know, I think like the sports leagues had big problems with this early on. Because they were like, hey, what's going on? We sell media rights. Like, we cannot have you just clipping and posting. Um, but I just wonder in today's world, is it actually just, for the people at the top, is it just mutually beneficial? Right? Like, even Emma mm -hmm. Chamberlain's uh, show on Spotify, that's a, it, it's video podcast on Spotify. It gets re-uploaded to YouTube all the time. Spotify has an exclusive deal with Emma. Do they care? Probably not, because that's discovery in their investment, right? I mean, I would imagine Spotify and especially the sports leagues had a similar feeling that you and I did of, oh, they're beating us at our own game. Right, So at some point. Instead yeah. of competing with them, why don't we just join them? Or, or just acquire yeah, them. Yeah, I mean, let's also talk about uh, NBA Playmakers, right? Which is a program that the NBA, I don't know if it still exists, but it was a program that the NBA did where they essentially allow a very select few YouTube channels to use NBA footage and split revenue with them. Um, I think more stuff like that could emerge and maybe as we start to see stuff like name, image, and likeness ID, uh, something that we talked about in the published press recently, uh, is Metaphysic, uh, Miles Fisher's company, that's now essentially offering name, image, and likeness protection. 
across the internet for creators and celebrities. So then the question would be like, does our piece of content, does our interview with Emma Chamberlain have ID that then goes across all platforms, right? We are now enforced across all platforms. We're notified and we can either say, we'll split revenue with you or something different. The question becomes when it gets altered, yeah. the alterations, right? Where GTA gameplay is in it or crazy subtitles or all of a sudden it's covered in B-roll. But that's where you'd need uh, actually name, image, voice, and likeness. It's pretty complex. Yeah, it does get complex. But in an ideal world, we are making some revenue from the clips. Yeah. Right. Some, in an some, ideal but world. some of that revenue could be not direct revenue. It could be indirect, where it's just, okay, now, you know, our episode with Emma has 250,000 views at this moment, but the clips have over 10 million views. So yeah. does that mean that more people will come to watch the full episode? Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully. Hopefully people are aware of it and like, oh, I'm interested in, in watching more of this. And then again, it's beneficial to us. But yeah, I think if we were just starting out and we were struggling to make money and we we made stuff that was, you know, in clips going viral, yeah, it would it would bother me, but I would, w- w- you have no choice. If so I, I think you'd have to learn. Amount, though, yeah. If I knew that we were not making money and someone was using our clips and making $10,000 a month that would as be that TikTok hard. suggested. That'd be hard. That would be gut-wrenching. Yeah, that'd be at, really hard. At the early stages of our career when we couldn't figure it out. That would be really hard. Would yeah. you two do anything like what Tyler Oliveira is doing with his videos? Where at the end of his YouTube videos, right. he's offering people, mm-hmm. knowing that people are going to clip it, he's offering, I think it's like $500 for yeah. the most viewed clip as long as they put in the description, hey, YouTube, go watch YouTube Tyler Oliveira. Mm-hmm. My issue with that... I wouldn't do it, yeah. I wouldn't do that. Is that I don't want uh, to be taking any sort of responsibility for how other people are altering our footage. Mm. Because I don't want anyone taking a guest out of context so that it goes more viral. And then at the end being like, go watch the full interview. And then getting to a point where the guest is upset about it. Makes sense. And we actually are the ones responsible for pushing people at scale to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I yeah. think one of, yeah, one of the challenges is like for us, we make decisions not based on virality, mm-hmm. right? And that is confusing to a lot of people who talk to us, but we make decisions based on um, quality, uh, brand, um, our own personal values, right? Yeah. Like, and again, yeah, I don't want you to be incentivized to take our conversation with... Uh, you know, Emma or the AJR brothers or anyone and be like, what's the most clickbaity kind of yeah. viral moment of this? And let's amplify that out of context. I don't want that. Yep. I want people to, I want the people who want to watch our show to be ones who want to sit in the conversation for a long period of time and, and understand the context. So yeah, I, this, this is a moment that I don't, I don't know what happens to the short form movement. I don't know what happens. I mean, and you're, you're a big part of it. Obviously, Tejas, not clipping. Well, welcome, yeah. <laughs> welcome to creator support. Um, Thank you. But Tejas, you're, you're, I'm saying you're, but you're producing of short course. form content. I'm saying this is maybe a larger conversation around the incentive structure around short form content, right? Mm-hmm. What, I, what I love about short short form content, I've said it on the show before, is um, repeatable formats like what Jack Coin has done with Trackstar, um, Jack and his team at Public Opinion. Um, but I, what I don't like is bespoke viral clips that are just mm-hmm. like, how do I? put something together that can go super viral. I don't think the incentive structure exists for that to even make sense. Yeah, I said something um, the other day where uh, I felt like I would rather have 
100,000 views from people who remember the video the next day yeah. than a million from people who don't remember it. Totally. And I think that applies whether it's shorts or long form. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at what Jack is doing with Trackstar. It is this repeatable format. There's a brand to it. You remember it and you want to come back for it, even though it's only a minute long. Right, right. Yeah. Right. Like that's the key mm-hmm. is can you get someone to care enough to remember it, to want to come back the next day? Tejas, why yeah. are you here in L.A.? I, uh, I'm filming with Nickelodeon. That is yeah. the, alongside YouTube, that's the other thing I do. And so they, I'm filming an episode tomorrow. I had to come see the guys. H- how did you get the gig with Nickelodeon? Who knew? It was short form. Short form, really? Short form. They saw, so I think the way I looked at making TikToks, which I did for the past two years, basically mm-hmm. full time, um, was specifically a, TikToks or like shorts real like did you consider them TikToks? I would say I was creating for TikTok, reposting everywhere else. Okay. Today I'm now creating for YouTube. I actually barely even open TikTok myself, but mm. I kind of upload everything on TikTok anyway. Because why why not if the video's already made? But for the past two years, yeah, I was making TikToks. And actually similar to what you said, I um never made videos just to be the most viral piece of video. I, I always was like, how do I make it how do I make a video where people still know it's me, where they don't go, oh, I just watched a cool video. I don't know the person's name. So I try to put a lot of personality in it, knowing that this wouldn't hit 10 million views. And I think a byproduct of that was I made educational videos. Nickelodeon in the last year has been wanting to make an educational show. They said, hey, look at all these creators that are making educational content. Why don't we go to them instead of the traditional way of finding talent and Things lined up, and for the past year, I've been doing a Nickelodeon. What show. an amazing outcome of uploading short form content, mm-hmm. right? Like that, like getting a opportunity with a premium legacy brand like Nickelodeon. That that your, your story is a very interesting outcome. That I think that's that for me is what we were talking about in the beginning. It's like a creator versus a creative. Where yeah. what you're doing with Nickelodeon is you're actually selling a service to them, right? Yep. There's a lot of creators we speak to, and we always ask, "Do you want to go into mainstream entertainment? Mm-hmm. Do you want to go in traditional entertainment?" And the majority of them say no. Like YouTube is the end goal. Digital is the end goal. But what's really interesting about you as you're growing, going into Nickelodeon right now, is growing at this early stage is so much about building trust and building relationships. Mm-hmm. And that stamp of approval from yeah. Nickelodeon oh, man. That, oh, yeah. it's invaluable, dude. is invaluable yeah. to a large subset of people who make a lot of decisions. Oh my gosh, the first thing I did was put in my LinkedIn header. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> you know it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, so while you're while you're hosting with Nickelodeon, you're also really invested in uploading videos to your YouTube channel, both yeah. short form and long form. Yeah. Um, you and I have talked about this a couple times where I've been like, dude, go all in on being the Nickelodeon guy. Um, <laughs> but you're also uploading videos to YouTube. What is your... What are you hoping the outcome is of of uploading videos to your YouTube channel, and what, what types of videos are you uploading right now? The the goal since I've started was to be a YouTuber, right? I think we don't have to repeat this, but it's the most it's the best business model in out of all platforms, in my opinion, and it's the deepest connection you can get with the community. Mm-hmm. And so, even when I was posting TikToks, I started in August 2020. I tried to do it in 2021, that didn't work. I tried to do it in 2022, didn't work. I realized I was just my focus was everywhere. 
And so the beginning of this year, I moved in with two other creators, Colt Kerwin and Shervin. The one and only Colt you Kerwin. You live with yeah. Colt Kerwin? <laughs> there, there's a good... Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I, I feel like now we've we've mentioned Colt Kerwin so many times that we have to say bad things about him now. Yeah. You know, like we have to now do the opposite. We've hyped him up too we've much. We've hyped him up too much. He yeah. wakes up at 11 a.m., so he's kind of lazy in that way. He doesn't <laughs> eat till 4 p.m. There it is. Yeah. What yeah, else yeah, that's what we need. That's yeah, what yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you live with two other content creators. Yeah, yeah. and we the reason we moved in with each other was Shervin was already doing YouTube long form, but he was in his very early stages. Colt, similar to me, was we've always had this dream, but we were like we were both like half in, half out. And we told each other in the beginning of this year, we have to figure this out. Mm. Right. Um all we have to do all day, we live in a 800 square foot apartment. Our desks are in the same exact room. And so uh yeah, in the beginning of this year we said YouTube long form. Like we're gonna figure this out. And um, in, it's so ironic. In May is when all of us had our first win, right? So it would be um, Colt uploaded a video, and this video went incredibly. Yeah, yeah, that went viral. It, not it, even just viral, but I think like in that month, I had a video in May also do really well. But we all three kind of found our voice, which I think was the biggest mm -hmm. win out of that. Mm. I say like um, in the past two years, I was just imitating the voices that I looked up to the most because I didn't really have my own. Of course. I was just like looking up like, oh, this is what works. Like, let me do that. Today, I can really confidently say what I'm putting out feels like my corner of the internet. And that to me is the biggest win of 2023. And are you, are you dependent on, your YouTube channel has 50,000 subs. Yeah. You know, your viewership's kind of, it, it, can, it can vary, right? It, yeah. I can look at the last eight videos. Um, 9,000 views, 58,000 views, 79,000 views, yep. 29,000 views, 6,000, 8,000, 73,000, 5,000. Yeah. Um, are you relying on the channel for your, your, your income? No. No. So most of, my, most of my income still comes from, um, I'll have the occasional brand deal on my TikTok and oh, then TikTok. Nickelodeon. Yeah. Nickelodeon. Mm. Nickelodeon. Shout out Nick. Shout out Nickelodeon. Shout out Nick, man. Yeah. Wow. Um, they were the uh, they were the OG faceless uh, content channel. Do you remember Face? Yeah, of course. Yeah, Nickelodeon had this oh, thing really? called Face when I was growing up, and it was just a big color. Yeah, with a face in it that had a voice. No way. It was a faceless really? faceless uh, host of Nickelodeon, literally named Face. You remember? Wow, okay. uh, you remember Stick Stickler? Of course. Popsicle Stick? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nickelodeon was great at that. They were the OGs of the faceless channel. What's uh, the most affordable yeah. animated character of They're all time? Amazing. That's a Popsicle yeah. Stick. So, what do you? Um, you know, this is creator support. Yeah. What support do you need as a creator oh, right now? Yeah, this is the dream. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say like the I, I'll call this new season of Tage's Floor is every, everything from my um, why David Dobrik. Uh, or what is it? <laughs> Why David Dobrik abandoned YouTube. Yeah. This is like, well, from that video onwards is when I really started to focus on YouTube long form in a way. I'm also posting shorts, right? I do find, um, honestly, I'm making shorts anyway. Like I, I've kind of built a team out to where that's not too much friction in my week. But I would love, very generally, mm -hmm. if you guys took all filters off yeah. and just roasted sure. the brand. Right, so, I'm at 50,000 subscribers. You can see the volatility in the views. What do you think of formats, packaging, direction of the brand as a whole? Yeah. Oh my goodness. So here's here's like how we do this uh, all the time, right? And like this is a this is a part of our our upcoming course and and like framework that we've used our entire career. Uh, the first question I'll ask you is who is the audience for this channel? Break it down into to like maybe as as granular as you can get. Of okay. Like who who watches this channel? 
Or I who will, do you want to watch the channel? I think there's there's two groups of people. I don't know the split between, is it 50-50? If it's 90-10, I have no sure. idea. Yeah. But I think the first group of people are people in their... People that are young adults, like whether they're late high school, early college, that have are kind of taking a very traditional path and are looking to n- do something a bit more entrepreneurial, right? Okay. And so, um, like the and I'm basing this off the DMs I get. People that are like, okay. oh, I want to, um, I'm, I want to start a jewelry store, or I want most of them. It's like I want to be a creator as well, and like watching your journey has been really interesting. Okay. That's one, and then the other one has been actually people like, um. A lot of people behind the scenes of like the, the industries of like whether it is um you know like agents very similar to like um like platform builders things like that hmm. in in that like entertainment yeah. industry I would say the that creator and, industry yeah and I would say that's like um that feels a little outdated to what I'm doing now mm-hmm. um but I would say so yeah and, that's yeah and why do you think each of those audience groups watches your channel? What is the value they get? I think the first one is I, I've always wanted to feel like the best friend to that former group of um, those people, right? So it's like, I'm just thinking about wh- where was I two years ago? Mm-hmm. How can I create content for the person I was two years ago, right? The person that was in college, I'd never finished my senior year. I left it and I was like, wow, I, I, I really want to feel like I'm doing this crazy journey with someone. Hmm. So okay. I'm I'm trying to document more of like what the content closet is doing and like all, yeah. all of that. Um, like my latest video is kind of the three big yeah. lessons that I've learned um, of this year because that was a really mo- very monumental year. That seems like a direct hit for that audience. Yeah. yeah. Why 2023 was the best year of my life. Yep. And then in the thumbnail, even if I don't know you, I see a young guy around my age. That's like an easy, okay, this person yeah. had the best year I- of their life. Yeah, I like the general concept of that, and I think that fits what you just said. But I, I don't actually love the title if you're trying to reach a bigger audience. Why mm-hmm. 2023 was the best year of my life? Like, you know, you did a list, which is like a very Ali Abdal kind yeah. of in, I- influenced. Like, all you need is a list. Um, but I would have put the list in the title probably. But I okay. want to take a step back and be like, I think you're essentially suggesting there's like a aspiring entrepreneur, creative entrepreneur in your audience, yeah. right? Young aspiring creative entrepreneur. And then like an a established professional entertainment industry person. Yeah. Now, to me, uh, the young aspiring entrepreneur who wants to feel like a sense of community or that they're not doing this career solo, the full story behind Hollywood strikes, I don't know how that speaks to them. Yeah. Right. How does that make them feel less alone? Uh, you know, That's a great I, question. Yeah, I, I, like to me, you basically have to run every title through that and and ask the question like, does that yeah. actually do what you're saying you want to do? Um, yep. Because otherwise, my decision when I'm in a sea of decisions of what to click, if I'm looking for that value, I don't even know it's inside of this, right? Mm-hmm. What happened to Instagram? That video is fantastic. You did like really great video essay breakdown, but like, there's no suggestion of what I'm. Why, yeah. who I am or why I, why I would watch this video. So I guess like, what do you, I really enjoy making those videos. Yeah. I think like very selfishly, if I could go the rest of my life taking a topic I find interesting, mm-hmm. just researching it and packaging it in a way that's like fun, mm-hmm. that's like what I'd love to do. So would you suggest me changing the definition of the audience that I, that I want or changing the content to that I think, former audience? Because I like both. Yeah, yeah. I think you're, I think everyone 
thinks that this stuff should happen a lot faster than it does. Yeah. And I think you're still in an exploratory phase. Absolutely. Um, so I don't think you need to make any immediate changes if you're loving the content, but I think you need to continuously think about who is this for. Okay. I think everyone starts this career being like, I'm making it because I like to make it. Yeah. But as you grow, you start to recognize like you have to think in the direction of who is this for and why do they watch? It's a very simple one-two punch of two questions you have to ask. And, yeah. and if those slip out of consistency, then you're you're making videos, you're not building a channel. Makes sense, yeah. I would also suggest, and this is something that Samir and I didn't do, but I think that you should do, is continue to include yourself in the thumbnail. Not only mm-hmm. because the videos seem to do better, but because it implies that there is going to be some sort of person leading me through this topic. Mm-hmm. Right. Gotcha. Like I look at the thumbnail for the entire history of Instagram or uh, how Taylor Swift's manager changed the music industry. That could be a faceless video. Yeah. yeah it kind of yeah, feels yeah. like, a you know, I don't feel video. like anyone's bringing me through that experience. Yep. But, you know, when I see the full story behind the Hollywood strike, I see you. I know in a split mm. second, that's the host that's going to tell me this story. That makes sense. And you want to find people who want and it human, feels more personable. Who want a human host. Who, who do you think yeah. does that well? Johnny Harris? Well, yeah, Johnny's great at that. I've always been a big fan of Answer in Progress. Oh, they those are, guys, dude, they're, they're like thumbnails. Really I texted Colin at one of their thumbnails this weekend because I yeah. was just like, they are so good they're at great. their thumbnails. But that's a great comp for you. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I love that. I guess like you know, I've been looking at them as an inspiration, and like Taha, Melissa, mm-hmm. Sabrina have been like great role models in this too. Man, um, if you guys listening have not watched Answer in Progress, search it on YouTube. They are so good. Oh yeah, I love what they Absolutely. do. Absolutely. Um, um, how would you define their audience? Because, you know, something that I look at theirs too is like, wow, they're really going in like ideas that are, you know, so, I would some say like kind of all over the place, but so, it works. Yeah, there, there's a, um, they, they, like they fall into the Vox category of questions you didn't know you wanted the answer to. Yeah. So the job there is to write a title so intriguing that it injects your brain with so much curiosity that you have no choice but to click. click. And that's a whole different thing right yeah and then to continuously ask questions throughout this video essay to do the exact same thing over and over again right yeah inject me with curiosity until i can't um do it but they're they're also zooming out and and like why are you so tired and then the thumbnail is stop doing this there's so much curiosity there and that speaks to such a wide audience that it's no surprise that has a million views to me yeah for sure they find that balance of having a, a question you want the answer to and then the thumbnail is them in the middle of the action. Yep. Right. Pursuing yep. the answer. Yeah. Right. It's kind of like Tom Scott too. I've been a sure. fan of Tom Scott and that. Yeah, he's our arch nemesis though because he you beat, beat us in a streamy one year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, two years ago, yeah, Tom yeah, Scott yeah. beat us, so we don't yeah, we don't no, talk okay. about him. No, you can leave. Sorry, yeah. No, answer progress. Answer <laughs> progress is great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. I think I think you know they they're. Um, their audience is probably d- defined as like um, there, there's probably some terminology in there of like curious individuals. Yeah, but they're also speaking to the person who just goes on YouTube and wants to be pushed to click something. Yeah, does that make sense? Sure. Like the YouTube viewer who's like, "What do I watch?" And then it's like, "Ooh, yeah." yeah. Your audience is someone who is looking to be educated, and no one who's looking to be educated expects that it's going to happen in a short amount of time. Yeah, so they're expecting to sit, and they're most likely watching on their TV. Mm. Like, even if you look at Answer in Progress, some of their most viewed videos are above 20 minutes. Right. Yeah. You yeah. know, because same with you. You have a similar type of audience. Yep. But people are bought in. You're only giving them 12 minutes. 
sure. at times. Yep. Most likely people on average will watch like four minutes of that or five minutes yeah, of that. Yeah. But people are bought in. Yep. So you might as well, if the story allows it, bring them on a longer journey that's a little Makes bit sense. more in depth. Yeah. Would you be happy if uh, you continue to make these videos and they continue to get you hosting gigs for other networks? Or do you want to be an ad-backed media platform making your own videos? Like, does that make sense, what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, if the Nickelodeon thing is multiplied by 100, are you happy? I don't think so. I think I would, and I think that's conditional to the setup that I have in New York right now. It just feels so energizing, Hmm. living with culture and just, like, the whole New York City creator scene. Like we wake up and I'm like, the, all I want to do is like figure out how I can like just world build this 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 New York world. Um, but I think if I was alone in Chicago, kind of doing this, mm-hmm. yes. Interesting. That's that's fascinating. I, I would think uh, I, I'm going to continue asking you that over the next couple of years. Please. Uh, I I find <laughs> it to be interesting because I think like you are you are doing something that. Uh, other people don't have access to. Yeah. You really I, are. I should say I'm very grateful. You, I know I'm you're very, grateful very for grateful. it, but I think like the monetization model of, it's fascinating to me that the monetization model of advertising is as aspirational as it is compared mm. to like entertainment in another context. Yeah, I guess but, it's but independence. It's so much more about independence. It's about independence. And control yeah. of your that's own what identity. That's fair. That's fair. You know, that's what that's it fair. is. Um, okay. Well, that's let's it. answer a question from the audience. Um, we have a question here about AI generated uh, content. And this this goes to um, an issue of the published press, which was one of my favorite stories we've covered in a while. Um, this is uh, a question from, v- oh, wow, how do you say this name, Colin, on Discord? Vahalid. 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 Please, if I got that wrong, DM Colin. Yeah, you um, can blame me. Yeah, blame Colin for that. Um, Hi, in the latest issue of the published press, there was an interesting quote that said in 10 years, 90% of content would be AI generated. What do you think about that? What room does that leave for human creators? How do we prepare slash adapt? Now, what they're referencing is an article that um, our writer Nate wrote. Uh, He had a conversation with the chief marketing officer at Metaphysic, uh, the company we, we talked about earlier in the episode, that said, in the next 10 years, the content we consume will be 90% AI generated. Um, She's citing a a claim from the company's CEO, and she's, again, talking about this concept that Metaphysic is building uh, tools for creators to own their data uh, and actually to license their data to create content. It's essentially like Colin and I could license our faces, uh, our names, our images, or Tejas as you grow as a host. Nickelodeon's like, we want Tejas for five shoot dates, but we just need him physically for one, and then we're going to license his likeness for the others. Wow. Okay. <laughs> it's a wild. Yeah. It's a wild, it's wild to think about. To think about. But yeah. at the same time, it like, makes sense. That's what's think. happening with musicians right now, right? Yeah. Or right. even with YouTube, where it's like, you can use Charlie Puth's voice. Totally. Mm. Charlie Puth's voice means something, mm-hmm. so they'll pay to license it. Like, your face means something. Yeah. Yep. And you may be able to license it Whoa. for other people to use it. Now, it's... it's I mean, the question... The, 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 the thing that's bizarre is how much does the original human matter over time when maybe Nickelodeon likes your look and your vibe and can just generate an avatar that's very similar to you, that's yeah. when it's going to get really concerning and obviously what a lot of the SAG um, strike was about, right? Mm, yep. A lot of the SAG strike was also about background actors and how background actors are going to be in question when CGI and AI generated 
yeah, faces are way easier. Like it's way easier to just generate avatars uh, in the background. But yeah, I think the question comes into play of when when does it happen that a Nickelodeon is like, we want a diverse cast for this educational show. We can actually just generate that. That we can mm. make generative avatars. Um, again, dates back to face. But this uh, <laughs> this actually did happen this week with Sports Illustrated. This was crazy. I don't know if you've heard the story, Tate. I have not. Gonna, you haven't heard this? No. Okay, so let's walk through this story because this question comes at a time where in a big legacy media platform, we saw not only AI-generated content, but AI writers. So the website Futurism noticed that some of the articles on Sports Illustrated were sort of strangely written, and they looked into the authors and couldn't find anything about these authors outside oh, no way. of Sports Illustrated. Um, and what ends up happening is they end up finding out that they have... Sports Illustrated has purchased the, the like the digital representations of, of people who don't exist. Basically, like AI, AI generated, generated headshots. headshots. Yeah, of people that exist or don't exist. Don't, don't exist. Don't exist. Okay. Don't exist. And then come up with bios for who they oh, are. Oh gosh. Okay. And then AI is used uh, to publish uh, on their behalf. Interesting. So okay. they're AI written articles. Uh, that were meant to look like they were written by humans, but the headshots were also AI-generated headshots, which to me was the sloppiest part. Like um, the, the the article on Futurism shows that, uh, you know, one of the headshots was literally just neutral, white, young, adult male with short brown hair and blue eyes. And if you if you search that on this uh, on this website called Generated Photos, uh, you get that. You literally get this. Oh. Right, you can actually purchase this and download it and add it to your cart. And so they bought these headshots. Um, this guy like Drew Ortiz, right, right yep. here. He is not a real person. That is an AI generated avatar who has an email and has a bio uh, and quote unquote wrote these articles. But the articles and are just is there per is that bio making it sound like they're a real person? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So once Futurism published story, uh, the all the articles were taken down. And they disappeared. Mm. And uh, the publisher blamed a contractor. Like they had hired someone to help with articles. Yeah. But what's interesting is would people care in the future if we just knew it was AI? Yeah. Isn't that what those accounts on Instagram? So, sort of, right? Yeah. It's sort of yeah. like what Meta did. Totally. By, like licensing celebrity faces and then putting out content on their behalf. I mean, I, I, it brings into question, you know, obviously we run a written publication. You know, we are, the, the published press is a written publication. The, there's a question here of why are bylines important? Um, that That's from, you know, our producer, Marilyn, who put this in there asking us the question. Like, you know, you guys have bylines in, in the published press, meaning like we, we we write out the writer's names and link their profile so you can go see that it's, it's real, you know, it's not only real people, but like you can interact with Hannah yeah. and Nate and... They are in the community and they're talking to creators. And if you want to reach out, like people reach out to them with stories now. And that's mm -hmm. really cool. Um, but the question is, is this the inevitable future of writing at scale or content at scale when, again, you have a media company that's ad-backed that what you need is more content of a certain format to service more eyeballs and then get more advertising. In that model, this is inevitable, I think. 
I think just what's going to continue to happen is that the only thing that will matter is can you build a brand? Can you continue to sustain your brand so mm-hmm. that the actual humans who are consuming all of this stuff yeah. care about who's distributing it? Because yeah. there's going to be a wild, I agree that, I don't know if it's 90%, but there will be a wild influx of AI-generated content. Well, what Erica said in the interview is that 90% in 10 years, like a decade from now, if this is happening today in 2023... This is happening today on Sports Illustrated. Like in ten years, maybe. That's a bold prediction. It's a who bold knows? prediction. Ten years out. Yeah, like, yeah. It's know, a bold who, prediction. Who knows? Um, um, yeah, I'm. I'm curious to hear um, uh, uh, thoughts. Um, you know, I think we're seeing a lot of AI produced video. Like if you scroll through TikTok or Instagram or Shorts, like you hear the Eleven Labs voice right all the time. Also, TikTok gives you an option to have a voice. <laughs> That's true. That will read your. That's true the text on screen. It's just not, it doesn't sound that real. But like, sometimes I'll watch those and if they're interesting, I'll just watch them. And that script most likely is written by ChatGPT. Is written by ChatGPT. Exactly. And what's strange is that, you know, right now, ChatGPT can only intake information up to a certain date. It's not super (laughs) recent. (laughs) So you can't, you know, generate information based off of what happened yesterday. Right. But that's changing. Yeah, it's like changing. even that is part of uh, the upcoming, mm-hmm. you know, updates and new versions of ChatGPT. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, there's a lot more questions here uh, that that we're going to answer. We'll answer them on a on another episode. Are we in the deep end? Sport. We're deep in the deep end right now. I'm realizing Tejas is getting oh up and walking God. around. He he bailed on Back the show. In the deep end, and so we need to uh, we need to wrap up here. Tejas, yeah. do you have any gripes like with the world? Oh wow, I got a gripe. If you want to think of one, while yeah, I yeah, go yeah, ahead, go, go my gripe. Yeah, so. Yesterday, at our wonderful bagel breakfast, yes. there was also a fruit bowl. Mm-hmm. There was no pineapple. No, there was not. There was mango. I don't appreciate Thanks mango. for listening to this episode of Creators for it. Thank you so much, Tejas, for joining us. If you guys Thank have you. questions, put them in the Discord. You can tweet them at us, at Colin and Samir. Does Subscri- that not bother you? Subscribe to our newsletter. Be there instead of mango. The published press. Let us know your thoughts mango on some of the topics never ripe. we Mango discussed. is never ripe. Tejas? Okay. We'll You're see you guys next week. Yeah. <laughs>